What's up, Ego Hackers? This is C.S. Joseph, and this is Season 18, Episode 16, The Third Cognitive Reflection, uh, talking about the third set of uh, reflector functions, and the specific functions for today is introverted sensing versus introverted intuition. And I know plenty of you have been waiting a very, very long time for this particular episode. In fact, I'm sure some of you, I remember some of you telling me how much you would wish I had started with uh, with that one uh, instead of uh, the other ones. But hey, you know, that's just kind of how we roll. Always got to save the best for last, etc. Um, hopefully you guys can actually hear me right now. So let me look at the chat here. And uh, yeah, uh, let me know uh, if you guys uh, can hear me and the sound and everything is good. I'm basically using the same exact setup that I had last night. I'm still testing the scenes with this uh, streaming software that I'm using. So I'm using a different streaming software than usual. So hopefully uh, it's coming in uh, quite clear and a better quality than what we're typically, uh, well, used to, etc. So awesome. Uh, so yeah, common reflections. So remember, folks, uh, just from a uh, uh, thank you for confirming, folks. So. Typically, we've been talking about things like cognitive axis, where we discuss cognitive synchronicity and cognitive asynchronicity. Cognitive synchronicity is uh, the basis for compatibility. Cognitive asynchronicity is the basis for camaraderie between each of the uh, 16 types, as well as their, uh, their cognitive uh, functions. And as I said previously, it is an area of development and uh, you need to develop your pessimistic functions first in order to grow your optimistic functions. And that's typical, like in terms of cognitive access, how you're able to like grow as a human being, which is important. Then there's also cognitive orbit, which is another area of development that a person can utilize when they're developing their own psyche. Uh, you could utilize your shadow functions as a backdoor uh, to get into your ego functions. And this is especially necessary in the parenting world. And if you're watching this and you haven't watched our uh, parenting uh, season yet, please do. I think that's season 23 and that's available in the members section. So csjoseph.life forward slash members, become a journeyman member. Check out season 23 on how to parent uh, certain types. If you are a certain type, please watch your own videos so you can see where your parents did well and where they did not do well with parenting you. And also make sure you're checking out the parenting lectures so that you can parent your own children better or assist or criticize family members that you have if they have children like nieces and nephews so you can tell your brother sister how much of a good or crappy job that they're doing at parenting as well. I know I do, so why shouldn't you either, right? Anyway, uh, but cognitive access and cognitive orbit, as we've discussed within season 18 here with uh, cognitive mechanics, they're areas of development. They're, they're ways that you could utilize to develop your psyche and get on the path to integration and enlightenment as we have discussed in season 19. If you want to get season 19, oh my gosh, I'm a salesman right now, csjoseph.life forward slash portal and click on the discover XYZ type and the season 19 episode associated with that type is within those individual things. So that is a thing. Uh, please check that out. It's just a one-time fee. Uh, but... Uh, 
cognitive reflection is kind of a third way of looking at uh, uh, you know cognitive functions, but it's not it's not an area of development. It's more of how to check your development, like what level of development are you at as a human being, etc. So uh, another way to understand cognitive reflection is uh, what uh, Chris Taylor, who's a member of the CSJ community, calls the battlegrounds. And there's the battleground of Titans, which is basically the hero versus the demon, the battleground of responsibility, which is the parent versus the trickster, the battleground of innocence, which is the child uh, versus the parent or the, the critic. Uh, or grandparent in this case, and the battleground of inhibition, which is the inferior function versus the nemesis function. And each of these functions are, I, won't, I don't really want to say linked. I've said linked in the past. I think they are just, uh, they have a close uh, relationship with one another. It's kind of like a, a switch or a pathway. If one pathway is not uh, primary, then the other pathway is secondary, right? And based on a person's level of development with the functions in terms of their in terms of their reflector functions within whichever battleground that they're at, uh, you know, cognitive attitude wise, it really helps you determine their level of cognitive development as an individual. It's also like you can even liken it to possibly even determining uh, what level of maturity they have. You could actually go that far. Right. And uh, that's. Um, that's pretty cool. You know, that's pretty, pretty awesome uh, to that effect to be able to, to do that. So, so yeah, uh, but I always have to give credit where it's due. Um, this uh, Dr. John Beebe talks about this concept. He calls it mirror functions, but we changed it to reflector functions because we use mirroring in the CSJ community terminology to explain how Templar types mirror other people's behavior, especially INFJs and ESTPs. But Mirror functions, according to Dr. John Beebe, is basically these concepts that we're talking about with cognitive reflections, etc. And uh, I, you got to give credit where it's due. So if you haven't checked out Energies and Patterns of Psychological Type, go to csjoseph.life forward slash reading, uh, control F for Energies and Patterns. You'll get the link right there. Take it to Amazon. You're good to go. Yes, that's an affiliative link. So yes, I'm technically going to be paid for you to do that. But thank you for supporting the community uh, for doing that, etc. Uh, but yes, that's Dr. John Beebe. Uh, he's a fantastic guy, uh, maintains he's an INTJ. Some people have told me he's an ENTP, or at least he maintains he's an ENTP, and some people say he's an INTJ. I maintain he's an INTP, but it's all good. He's a fantastic guy. I really like him, and I'm very thankful uh, to have had the opportunity to shake his hand and meet him in person. And um, I, I, I was very happy that... Uh, out of all of my favorite psychologists, he's the one that definitely was, uh, in my opinion, the most important one uh, in terms of the foundation of this work, other than Carl Jung, who wrote the book Ion, which is where the four sides of the mind theory is based on. But having Dr. John Beebe acknowledge me and acknowledge my work as is it's very important to me, and I'm very thankful that he did that. So shout out to Dr. John Beebe to that end. Um, so yeah. Uh, also, uh, I really forget the other uh, person. Um, there's two other acknowledgements I got to do, but there's another person I need to thank who came up with this concept in one of the YouTube comments. I forgot their name. Someday, somehow, somebody will tell me their name, hopefully by the next episode, so I can like actually like get this in here. Uh, but the statement that they made in YouTube comments uh, relating to this, uh, quote, 
The ego is an axis with your subconscious. The ego is in orbit with your unconscious. Your ego is a reflection of your superego. And this kind of helps demonstrate basically all of the relationships that the functions have within the four sides of your mind in terms of your ego. Very important. And the final acknowledgement, which is obviously Chris Taylor, for helping uh, take uh, John, Dr. John Beebe's mirror functions and kind of build them into a, a completely different level or way of doing that. Because uh, instead of just looking at the cognitive reflections on their own, uh, he mixed in cognitive attitude and attitude behaviors as well. And I think that's fascinating. I think that's excellent. And uh, next, uh, so this and next month, we're having the third reflection, which is today. Uh, next month, we're going to have the fourth reflection. The following month after that, we're going to have uh, Chris Taylor here live. He's going to be explaining to us uh, each of the battlegrounds from a cognitive attitude standpoint, which is going to be awesome. And then I believe the following episode after that, we're going to have guest uh, Jay Ackley, Coach Jay, talking to us about... Um, uh, macro and micro uh, behaviors when it comes to worldview. Worldview is also known as temperaments, basically. Not not interaction styles, that's expression. But temperaments is worldview. And he's going to be sharing, um, and I think, I think he may actually be talking about expression. But so yeah, expression and worldview, but in terms of uh, macro and microcosm uh, behaviors. And we're going to be discussing, you know, some theories about that he may actually be on a cutting edge episode instead because that's like super cutting edge but because there's a lot of theories i want to attach to it so we might be doing two episodes i'm not sure so we'll probably see if uh coach jay is up for being on cutting edge this month and we'll just move that out etc but uh it, it really helps demonstrate and show you additional relationships at least directly from a type grid standpoint to kind of help uh define a different uh, dichotomy of people's types and how they interact with one another. And I think that potentially this could actually be an additional vector that we could use the type grid uh, for. So I'm really excited about that. I just want to have a chance to talk about that right now. Uh, so yeah, Coach J will be on very soon. I just don't know if it's going to be in season 18 or if it's going to be in cutting edge. We'll figure that out when we get there. So Anyway, uh, let's let's move on. So today's the third uh, reflection, and uh, wow, we're 10 minutes in. So a lot faster in intro this time, right? So yeah, um, uh, energies and patterns is very hard to read, very convoluted. Okay, sure, um, fair enough. Uh, yeah, congratulating me for showing up on time and not having a huge, uh, very super long intro. Okay, fair enough. So uh, the third reflection, which is introverted sensing and introverted intuition. Let's redefine introverted sensing and introverted intuition. Uh, so introverted sensing is basically a person's ability to provide attention to something. This is why concentration is attached to introverted sensing. And introverted intuition is known as willpower or desire. And introverted intuition is where focus exists. Another way to look at this, um, which comes from uh, Mr. Uh, Robert Potts, who uh, is on our team, uh, he reminded me that uh, introverted sensing is actually closer to needs and introverted intuition is closer to wants. So you have a needs versus wants uh, relationship uh, between these two functions and especially in a reflector pair that 
certainly dominates the entire interaction and will help you kind of identify a person's level of maturity or immaturity based on their ability to manage the uh, needs versus wants dichotomy, basically. And that's effectively what this, um, or essentially, what this lecture is about. Because when you look at, um, when you look at Frederick Nietzsche, and let me see if I can actually pull up uh, something about uh, uh, something that uh, Nietzsche said regarding needs and wants. There's a very simple uh, saying. Um, I don't want to look at master and slave morality. It's, uh, come on, as I like try to uh, Google this out. Um, let's see, maybe if I actually spelt it correctly, it might, uh, it might actually help. Uh, let's see here. I can find it. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay. Uh, all right. Control F and then once. Okay. All right, well, apparently uh, I didn't have my uh, notes prepped properly here. But that's too bad. But um, there's, a, there's a famous quote that Nietzsche has regarding needs versus wants. And it's basically an adage where people need to come to the understanding that there is a fundamental difference. ENTPs, for example, like I, I as a child, really, really struggled understanding the difference between needs versus wants. And I would often conflate the two different words, etc. So uh, to avoid conflation within uh, this, the context of this particular lecture, uh, let's actually define uh, at dictionary.com what it means to want. Uh, want is a verb. So um, and uh, and the definition reads as to wish, crave, demand, desire, etc. Uh, although even dictionary.com conflates the need because it actually puts the word need inside of its a um, inside of its definition for want. Uh, however, if you look at the need definition, it's a, a requirement, a necessary duty or obligation, right? It's an obligation. So introverted sensing is very obligation uh, based, right? So uh, Yes, and introverted sensing definitely uh, is also something that has to do with how you feel in your body. Introverted sensing means you're aware of what you are experiencing yourself. You can kind of use your mental mind's eye to kind of like feel or sense anything in your body, et cetera. You know where it is. Whereas someone who has low, very, very low SI, like an SI demon or an SI trickster, they may not exactly know where their appendages are in a particular moment. They'll have to like look at their hand before they realize their hand is a particular location. But for me, I automatically know where every inch, every cell of my body basically, basically is at all times. And I'm able to keep track of that with my mind at all times as an introverted sensor. Whereas like my INFJ son, uh, who's turning 10 this year, can't really do that. He has a very hard time telling where his, uh, where his legs and arms and legs are all the time. He's Mr. Arms and Legs because he doesn't know where he is. That's why sometimes I refer to him as Mr. Spindles. So because uh, he doesn't know where his arms and legs are. So yeah, and uh, it, it's, it's kind of interesting how that works. But you know, when it comes to child rearing, I got a friend of mine who's raising an ENTP, and this ENTP child, uh, his name's Nolan, he doesn't exactly know the difference between needs and wants. He's getting there, um, or at least 
you know, at least two years ago, it was kind of a difficulty. And uh, Nolan is, I, I always I always check in uh, with my friend to see how Nolan is doing, to see if he understands the difference between needs versus wants, because there is a fundamental difference. And he's starting to get it. But, you know, when you have introverted sensing inferior, you're at risk of depravity, similar to like an ENFP would uh, with introverted sensing inferior. It's very easy when combined with SI nemesis to have a total uh, disassociation uh, with the actual definitions of what needs versus wants actually are. And it is really fundamental in the human experience to consistently outline or create the differentiation between needs versus wants, etc., between multiple people. I think another example of this as to why it's important is like when you look at uh, INTJs or more accurately Wayfarers versus Templars, for example, if you wake up a Templar, they get very mad, but they can go to sleep really easy. However, a Wayfarer, it's the other way around. They get really upset that they have to go to sleep, but then uh, when they wake up, they're pretty happy about it. It's like it's it's completely in the reverse, uh, and that's that's one indicator of like a Wayfarer child versus a Templar child. If you notice that your child is an extroverted sensor, for example, that's one way that you could use that uh, to type. Whereas an introverted sensor, uh, the higher the SI, the easier time that they are able to relax and actually get to sleep, and they have really good sleep lives, and that's why they have such good uh, longevity. Whereas low introverted sensors like myself, uh, so like SI child or SI inferior, we have a much harder time relaxing. And because of that inability to relax or the, last, the less capability to relax, we have a shorter lifespan, right? And this is ultimately uh, why, you know, there's, there's a lot of health uh, considerations, at least when you're considering the difference between needs versus wants to really, you know, come up with that direction. Um, I don't know why we're discussing a dog right now in the chat, but fair enough, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. But at the end of the day, a need is a requirement, necessary duty, or obligation. And um, it was nice to be able to uh, uh, utilize that, uh, that piece of information for the sake of this uh, particular lecture. So um, right now, so we're, what we're going to do now is we're going to uh, explore each of the four battlegrounds. We're going to look at them in a negative and a positive uh, interaction uh, with how they're working, at least, or uh, immature versus mature, etc. And then talk about the specific attitudes themselves. So the battleground of Titans, which is the hero versus the demon. The demon is super powerful. The demon naturally hates the hero because the hero constantly locks the demon in the abyss. But eventually the hero stops resting on its laurels. It's willing to take responsibility. It let goes of its pride. The hero becomes the warrior because it engages in humility. It lets the demon out and ends up trusting the demon. It ends up factoring the demon in what the demon's trying to tell it, even though the demon is only lying to the hero at first because it knows the hero's pride is so bad that it can't take the truth. You can't handle the truth, right? That's the demon relationship with the hero, okay? Well, based on that, uh, the demon uh, eventually will become an angel as the hero becomes more warrior and actually learns from the demon at the same time. And that's very important. That's very uh, necessary for a person's personal growth. However, because of uh, introverted sensing versus introverted intuition, if you're going to look at um, you know, ISTJs, ISFJs, 
INFJs and INTJs uh, for that particular battleground, the battleground of Titans, the uh, the internal interactions that they end up having, you know, as a result, uh, it plays out in different ways. It absolutely plays out uh, different ways. Uh, no, it's not about the dog. Okay, I, okay, fair enough. So, oh man, it's a little bright in here. Holy smokes. Maybe like I'll actually be able to see because it is like super bright and I got this like big light in my face right now. It's just like whoa. <laughs> anyway, so but but the hero is like a titan and just like the demon is a titan or the angel is a titan, right? And the demon is very full of hatred. The the angel is full of love. Basically, uh, the hero is full of pride, whereas the warrior is full of humility. Etc. And all of these things interact together. Uh, one cannot really love other people without having some aspect of humility. This is where the concept of love your neighbors yourself actually comes from. Um, and, 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 you know, loving your neighbors yourself, if you're actually going to break them down, you could look from an extra intuitive, uh, symbological standpoint uh, and go right back to the Garden of Eden. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, for example, is all about love your neighbor but the as yourself component is actually the tree of life. You can actually draw that even you can draw that directly to the cognitive functions themselves from an introverted sensing and introverted intuition standpoint because needs versus wants, the introverted sensing part, the needs part is more objective basically. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, needs would be closer to the tree of life whereas wants would be closer to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, etc. So you can understand why I'm not saying that you should completely abandon the tree of knowledge. I'm saying that you should be factoring in the tree of life at all times. And then because you're factoring in the tree of life, you're able to actually not only identify what your needs are, but also uh, make sure that you're taking responsibility for meeting your needs, telling other people how they can meet your needs, enforcing boundaries, uh, to, having boundaries, those personal standards. The content that we talk about in season six on the YouTube channel about the four pillars of self-intimacy um, or self-love, basically. It helps you understand how to take care of yourself or how to love yourself, basically, which leads to ultimately leads to self-respect in the long run. And that's, uh, that is essentially the, the entire point of it. So, so with that, um, with that, uh, introverted sensing hero and introverted intuition demon. So introverted intuition demon versus the hero. So introverted sensing hero is like all about like doing what it should do. It's all about needs, 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 but it's always neglecting what it wants. It's not really, it's always trying to play it safe. And then you end up having that virtue and vice of fear versus faith, right? And the NI demon is just upset with the introverted sensing hero at this particular moment. And it's just like, wow, what the hell are you doing? You can't, you just, you just can't do this. You, you really can't do this. And one of the reasons why the NI demon hates introverted sensing and uh, hero is because it's trying to get the hero to understand that it needs to be willing to take more risks and that the hero is playing it safe way too much. If the, if the demon could get the hero to understand like, hey, you know, you're really strong. You're an SI hero. You can endure literally anything. And you know you can endure and outlast anyone and anything whatsoever. And that you're going to win in the end. If that's the case, then why don't you allow yourself to do what you want? Why don't you allow yourself to take risks? Why do you always have to take the slow way? Why do you always have to uh, 
live in fear, basically. And NI Demon just absolutely hates how SI Hero lives in fear constantly when it shouldn't because it's, it, it's, it has the highest amount of strength and fortitude to be able to survive and outlast anything. So NI Demon's like, you're literally wasting that ability right now. And it's because SI Hero is effectively resting on its laurels, etc. at that moment, taking for granted what personal strength it actually has. And the NI Demon hates that. It absolutely hates that. So a negative, a negative example of an introverted sensor who is unhealthy is someone who is constantly playing it safe. They're completely risk averse. It's kind of like an ISTJ who follows the bouncing ball in life and they're not willing to take any risks. They have to get their degree. They have to get all their credentials set up. They have to follow the tried and true beaten path way that takes the longest out of everyone and also rewards the smallest as well. And their NI demon just absolutely hates their guts doing it. Absolutely hates their guts. And this is like the, the boring ISTJ who works for the bank and he's a banker and like so cliche and no one really like wants that and that's so boring and so risk averse not willing to take risks etc or uh or the isfj who is stuck in a social situation and the isfj just ends up putting up with being in an abusive church-like situation or an abusive family situation or is too afraid to actually go through with a divorce or that kind of thing and just allowing themselves to be taken advantage of or being forced or obligated into being someone else's slave effectively uh, in their life because of how risk averse they are. This is the negative aspect of introverted sensing hero. They are insanely risk averse and the NID man just absolutely hates it. But what is a positive, what is a positive look uh, for SI hero look like in this regard? Well, from fiction, uh, definitely that would be Dominic Toretto um, from Fast and Furious. He's an ISTJ and he's constantly taking risks uh, with his NI demon, especially that one scene at the very, very end where he talks about, you know, or previous, there's a scene in the early movie where he talks about his dad's car and how he's afraid to drive it. And he's, you know, he's kind of got that fear factor of SI hero going. But then he gets over his fear, and then he's got literally nothing to lose. Folks, that's the point of the Battleground of Titans when it comes to SI Hero. You have to get to a point where it is nothing to lose. You want to get to that nothing to lose state, really. Because um, if you could do that, uh, you know, from that NI Demon, NI Demon's like, the truth of the NI Demon is like, hey, you really do have nothing to lose because no matter what happens, you're going to get through it, period, in a story. And Dominic Toretto, by the end of the first Fast and Furious film, finally was able to actually accept that, and he got into his dad's car and decided to race in his dad's car. And he went up against um, uh, against um, Paul Walker's character in a, in a drag race, and, uh, and he won the race, and then he, got, and he crashed in a, in a train or whatever, but he still survived. And that's proof positive that SI Hero could still make it even in that amazingly dangerous uh, situation. So that's where that comes from. So that's where it's very, you know, you got to understand, you know, that's like the negative positive. Now, NI Hero, however, a little bit different. NI Hero, the, the, the negative aspect of uh, NI Hero is that NI Hero is just raw willpower and they never do what they should. Like, uh, and it, like my son, for example, he really just does not want to sleep ever. And he gets so angry when he has to sleep, when he doesn't want to sleep. He gets so mad that his body 
is not doing exactly what he wants it to do. So his body is what's holding him down. It's like his brain is further ahead than his own body. And he's like, I want to be able to doing all these things with my mom and dad. I want to be walking around right now. And he's like, he's, I want to, you know, he's, he's just, I want to be communicating. And he's just, and you can see he's so frustrated that his body is so behind his brain. And he hates it. And it's just like with him going to sleep. It's like, how dare my body get tired? I am, he's like, I'm so sick and tired of my body getting tired. I guarantee you, like every little INJ child growing up, NI heroes, all of them have had the perspective of if there really is a heaven, it's a place where I will never get tired. I guarantee you, they all have that point of view. And it's just because they see their body as a limitation that's getting in the way of them doing something that they want. And SI Demon is like, hello, you need to take care of yourself. SI Demon is like, hello, stop, stop doing shortcuts all the time because they are very effort averse, right? So, um, you know, SI, um, SI Demon, um, SI Demon equals, you know, effort, uh, effort averse. They just, they're just really not willing to put in the effort, uh, as much as they can. Whereas, um, Ni demon equals it's uh, it's risk averse, being risk averse, and that's that's those are the negative components of the battleground of titans, you know, in terms of introverted intuition, and and introverted sensing. Now, the positive introverted intuition, because we haven't done the positive one yet, the positive um, or uh, introverted intuition hero with Si demon is that eventually because they're gonna stop living life, getting through life by talent alone and taking their shortcuts, et cetera, and just not doing that. They're not gonna do that anymore. Uh, instead, they're actually willing to put in the effort. They're not going to take shortcuts, uh, which is great. And then they can get to a point, which which it's so funny because the INTJ or the INFJ is like, I'm so good, I'm so capable, I can take a shortcut and get away with it and still do really well. The thing is, it's not the absolute best they can do. Uh, if if they actually put in a little bit more effort, they could be even more meaningful and they could actually potentially actually get close to perfection, which is what they are trying to get to anyway. They want to be perfect. They want to be the best. The problem is, is that while they want to be the best, they're not willing to put in the work to be the best. And this is why, and here's, here's a really good, healthy, healthy, awesome example of introverted sensing demon going angelic and putting in all of the work to be the absolute best. And that example is Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, he'd do like a thousand free throws a day, constantly practicing all the time. It was a ton of hard work. It was excruciating, but his SID even could deal with it. And he was focused and he was disciplined and he utilized the discipline of his SI demon to put in the insane amount of effort on top of the insane amount of talent that he had to really create what is still arguably the greatest basketball player in recorded history. And that's him. I remember watching Michael Jordan uh, on television constantly as a kid. I was a huge Chicago Bulls fan. I was so excited when he came out of retirement. I, I was so, so, so excited when that happened. Uh, I remember even, you know, watching Space Jam and like, cause I was like, a, like Michael Jordan was my hero growing up as a child. He's a major uh, pedagogue uh, to me. And then just seeing him take all that extra effort that no other INJ is actually doing and then seeing him go in that direction. And, and 
and shortcuts are re- shortcuts are really horrible also for uh, INJs. Uh, and here's some examples of shortcuts. You know, those women getting boob jobs or butt jobs, basically lip ejections in their uh, in their lips, etc. Hair extensions instead of like actually being natural, which is what their SI demon is trying to get them to do, instead of being willing to get natural and maximize the natural, instead of maximize everything with fake, which is not exactly something people would want anyway. And they're already worried that people like don't want them with their NE nemesis, but they're not willing to put in the effort towards the natural and instead doing their effort to the fake. So it just becomes a, they're just walking talent shows instead of having a nice balance between effort and talent at the same time, which is what the SI demon would do when it's going angelic, allowing them to put in a lot more effort it, it to be combined with their expert sensing aspirational uh, performance, etc. I mean, that sounds like a better way to live life uh, to me, you know, from Battlegrounds of Titans, etc. So anyway, those are the negative and positive positions of both, uh, you know, the uh, introverted sensing or introverted intuition being in the hero or demon slot, respectively, right? Let's move on. Let's move on to the battleground of responsibility, which is the uh, parent and the critic function, okay? So remember, the parent function starts out as the teenager, and then when a person learns personal responsibility, etc., they end up, you know, developing their parents. Whereas the hero, like previously, I'd say, you know, the hero is basically that, uh, you know, pride versus humility approach, uh, which is uh, what most people actually overlook for some reason. I, 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 I never understand why. But the parent is more of, you know, that. Um, you know, irresponsible teenager versus the responsible parent, etc. The parent is uh, oftentimes underdeveloped because, and in my opinion, the reason why the parent function is underdeveloped is due to the lack of fathers in uh, Western society. And that lack of fathers is going around the entire world. Uh, like, the whole world is about to become a fatherless world, except for, like, third world countries where... They have to have those family systems in order for the sake of survival. But when you have cultures where we have technology and, uh, you know, uh, that it's effectively a a worldwide welfare state, when you have a welfare state, it's not really something that matters anymore. Family doesn't matter in a welfare state. It just doesn't. So hardship is what basically creates responsibility. And people who are irresponsible in their teenage years, and I was irresponsible in my teenage years, all of my worst decisions in my life were made in my teens uh, that uh, oftentimes I still pay for to this day. Luckily, my student loan debt is paid off, thank God. But still, it's, um, it's a thing. It's a, it's a problem. Um, so yeah, the parent is there. And then the trickster, uh, the function of being completely unaware of something versus being absolutely 100% entirely aware of something, which is another way of doing that. So introverted sensing versus introverted intuition and being in these positions, uh, it, it really, it really gives, uh, it just helps you break down these behaviors because you can see <coughs> how this battleground of responsibility plays out. I mean, even Chris Taylor has said, you know, it's like while your while your parent function is actually a teenager, the trickster is actually kind of taking over, and the teenager is going to the trickster. Uh, you know, it's like it's kind of like that. Uh, here's an example: like uh, in Pinocchio, uh, all the uh, the boys and some of them are teens are taken to Pleasure Island, for example, where they behave like asses and then they become asses and they're basically sold into slavery after the fact. Um, which, by the way, 
Uh, if you ever want to see something really, really creepy, look up the psychological analyses of the movie Pinocchio, which also talks about, uh, it even calls out pedophilia and Hollywood and some other horrible, crazy things that you don't even think about. But it's literally, Pinocchio is a story of satire. It's a satire that is completely bashing Hollywood. Uh, look that up on YouTube. Watch that documentary. It will, well, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And I think... The battleground, I, I think Pinocchio as a film was definitely a great demonstration of the battleground of responsibility when considering Pleasure Island and the consequences of the teenager and not having the parent function completely developed. I mean, just yesterday I was coaching a nine-year-old ESFP child and he told me like, I don't want to grow up ever. I'm like, well, why not? He's like, because I said so, which is a typical introverted feeling a user response from a child they always say because 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 and i'm like but they never actually provide a reason why because they can't provide a reason why it's also extremely common amongst fps especially fp children fps end up having that because response without actually providing any real reasoning behind it um, but it's because of an underdeveloped uh, parent function and it and when you have the you know a teenager function si teenager or ni teenager it becomes more reliant on the trickster function and this is something i completely agree uh with chris taylor on um, when he's doing that i had no idea jordan peterson has a lecture on pinocchio uh, but fair enough i'm trying out a new one uh, topo chico hmm. So the battleground of responsibility, introverted sensing and introverted intuition. Let's, let's start with uh, introverted sensing teenager slash parent versus um, introverted intuition, trickster versus mastery, right? So um, it's, it's, it really comes down to something like um, normalcy bias. Normalcy bias is a huge, huge issue uh, for introverted sensing parents that I've noticed. They have the biggest normalcy bias out of like literally everybody. And um, it's because their expectations are so high and they get so set in their ways, even though they could see what other people are doing and they have a faster reaction time than like an introverted sensing child would because of their extroverted sensing critic in there. They're still huge victims, if not the worst victims of normalcy bias I've ever seen. They, uh, as a result of that, it really inhibits them from actually doing their duty and taking care of their needs and, and, and allowing them to focus on needs because, uh, or at least, you know, they're not even aware of some of the options or decisions they have in front of them because they're just so stuck in the norm that they can't really comprehend um, potential paths or roads right in front of them. And that, that causes a huge, huge problem. It's like, uh, what would be a good example? Um, I mean, I've used the car lot example so many times when explaining this, uh, but they end up, they end up giving into that normalcy bias so much that they, and it's not that they're, they're doing it because they're afraid Although there's a little bit of a fear factor there, but it's not as bad as like introverted sensing heroes, but for them, they're just not willing, um, they're more likely to commit to what is readily accepted by the affiliative around them because all SI parents are affiliative. SI parent is an affiliative um, uh, construct, just like SI hero is. And they're so dedicated, but they're 
overly dedicated and they're so overly dedicated to the norm so overly dedicated it creates this normalcy bias where they have no clue what's in front of them and this is where you get the state the saying of you know people can't see past their own nose or people having their heads in the sand it literally comes from si parents uh consistently you know as a result so you know a, a negative example of you know ni trickster versus si parent is like they're they're going out of their way um you know they're, they're so addicted to the norm that they are allowing the norm to dictate what they want basically and i fine i'll use the carlotte example uh everyone in my esfj former mother-in-law's family was all about uh you know toyota and having toyota rav4s that she went and bought a toyota rav4 as well even though it's not what she needed it's not actually uh she thought she wanted it because everyone else wanted it basically but she had no need of that she did not need that vehicle at all i i suggested that she get something else like a volkswagen uh jetta tdi instead like a diesel and do it that way but she wanted to be like everybody else because that was the norm that was the norm and she was biased towards that norm so she made this really bad purchasing decision i remember listening to her complain over and over and over about how she regrets buying that vehicle. Well, in the battleground of responsibility, the absolute worst that you could see coming from, you know, the SI teenager versus NI trickster slot, it's literally a life of regret and trying to work through that normalcy bias so that they can get away from not having that life of regret. It's super, super important, right? That's a huge negative for them. Well, the positive is, is that eventually throughout life, because they've suffered so much as a result of their own normalcy bias, that they're just like, you know what? I'm done. I, I am entitled to doing what I actually want. I am entitled because I have put in the work. I've put in the time. I have earned this. And they finally have convinced themselves that they've actually earned the right. They've given themselves permission to actually want things, regardless of what anyone else is doing, regardless of what anyone else feels, regardless of what anyone else thinks, regardless of what the affiliative standard is that they live in, they finally allowed themselves to actually branch out, regardless of that internal nor normalcy bias, and then they just make a decision on their own. And it ends up being legitimately something that they want. The thing is though, that may only happen five, 10, 20 times in their entire life where they actually get that right and so and it's because they are getting to the point where they're realizing that it's more responsible for them to actually reject the norm and reject their normalcy bias and to branch out on their own because once again if they uh you know playing it safe by with their normalcy bias you know th that doesn't mean that that's not going to cause additional risks for them later they so remember such a bad, all the bad experiences and all of the regrets that they have that they literally use their stored up regret within their souls as the ultimate and all of the suffering that that regret causes as everything that they need to resolve to actually do something that they want and to take risks. Because before they wouldn't allow themselves to make those decisions. They wouldn't allow themselves to have those options because of the normalcy bias but the normalcy bias has caused a lifetime of regret. So then they decide to live a little. And this is especially 
This is especially prevalent amongst SI parent women, ESTJs and ESFJs, when they're hitting development phase starting 36, 37 years old because they have that life of regret. They, they miss the alphas of their early 20s when they're being banged by SP men alphas consistently and uh, they don't have that anymore and they regret getting married to potentially another SJ, et cetera, because that was the safe choice. And it's like, I need to develop myself. I need to live a little, right? And that's what uh, the battleground of responsibility is for introverted sensing. It's getting to the point where they realize, hey, I have a lifetime of regret here. The regret's coming from my normalcy bias. I need to stop caring about the normalcy bias and actually choose to live a little. And that's, that's, literally, that's literally what it is. And they come to the conclusion that it's responsible for them to actually live a little. Um, and that's where you end up having the introverted sensing parent who comes home randomly with a Corvette. And it's like, uh, I don't know we could actually afford that right now. But that's where it comes from. They just come home randomly with that because it's like I I deserve this. I I've been putting some, I've been putting this off my whole life. I'm full of regret for not doing it sooner. And they are always the ones that say I should have done it sooner every single time, right? So that's an example of uh, you know the positive uh, side of that, etc. Uh, Melissa Walker says uh, so like that one person that will only go to one place to eat even though there's a better place because their family goes there. Yes, that is absolutely correct. It's that normalcy bias and they are a slave to the norm, a slave to the affiliative standards of the norm. And they end up not allowing themselves to make decisions or at least take risks until they're willing to understand that they have a lifetime of regret stored up as a result of going along with the norm. Now, luckily, SI heroes within the battleground of Titans, they can have a little bit of that, but it's not as much because NI Demon eventually will be able to prod the hero into taking those risks with NI Demon eventually, because the demon will eventually come out. The thing is though, in the battleground of responsibility, the trickster, the trickster won't always come out. They have to reach a level of responsibility. And it's kind of an oxymoron because they end up realizing this SI parents like, hey, guess what? Uh, it's responsible for me to be irresponsible, basically. And they realize that in as part of taking care of themselves, they need to live a little and that it's actually responsible of them to live a little. And it takes them so long, sometimes an entire lifetime for them to actually come to that conclusion instead of submitting to the norm or their normalcy bias. So, uh, and Yasmin uh, says here, um, or Cayman uh, says, haha, I've had an ESFJ friend that always like to say live a little to people. Yep, that's where it comes from. And Yasmin says, my ESTJ department supervisor did that. LOL, he's got a Corvette he can't afford. That's, that's literally where it comes from. And it's because it, this, it's just this constant battle with normalcy bias that they have to deal with, right? Well, introvert intuition parents, uh, on the other side of things, it's, it's a little bit different. Um, they, it's not that they're risk averse, it's just that they're more uh, safety averse. They like to live dangerously. And this is why at the very beginning of their life, their NI teenager is extremely impulsive. They are very, very impulsive. Um, I, uh, this happened recently. Um, gosh, um, this is like many weeks ago. This is before I moved. Uh, 
uh, an ENTJ uh, at the gym, for example, just comes up to me and like straights up asks me out, right? Uh, she's just like, ain't no inhibition there, very impulsive, just straight up asks me out. And I'm like, no, sorry, I'm married, go away, leave me alone, not interested. Uh, but I've actually had that happen by NI parents like my whole life. Actually, uh, Kim, uh, my ENFJ ex, she was just like that. She was literally just like that. Um, even when we first got together uh, and whatnot, she was very, very impulsive about literally everything and didn't really put any stock into the consequences of her decisions. And I noticed uh, after dating her for a little bit that she was completely unwise with her handling of consequences of her own impulsive behavior. And oftentimes I would have to clean up her mess that she would make as a result of being impulsive. And here's an example of a negative thing of NI parents within the battleground of responsibility being impulsive. And she decided to overcompensate because she's a Templar, but she ended up being so impulsive because she felt guilty about not making me food or whatever that she ended up crashing my car and destroying my car, which absolutely sucked. And I, I regret not breaking up with her on the spot because of how irresponsible she was with her own impulsiveness. And it literally, when you have SI trickster in that position as well and relying on the trickster, it's a complete total lack of discipline. And she was not willing to, bye bye, where are you going? That's it? Okay, bye bye. So, um, you know, and, and they, they lack self-discipline. And because they lack that self-discipline, they are insanely impulsive. And yet at the same time, you can call them out for being hypocrites because there are any criticas in there sometimes and criticizing other people's decisions. And, and you're looking at them and you're like, but you're the most impulsive person I've ever met in my life. How could you say that? Because you entirely lack discipline, uh, which is true. And, you know, and here's another, here's another example of impulsive behavior. There's, they, get, they get so caught up in the moment within conversations that they're having with people because of experted sensing child and experted thinking hero that they don't even have the self-discipline to write anything down. This also includes Effie hero as well. They don't have the self-discipline to write anything down. And when they don't do that, then all of a sudden, well, they just forget everything. They completely forget. And uh, because they didn't write anything down, they didn't create a physical totem of memory with their totemic memory, and they're completely unaware of it. And then they are like, oh, crap, I forgot. And then they end up having regret later that they forgot. So guess what? Regret is still there, even with an NI parent, because the regret comes as a result of their impulsivity. It's really annoying. It is extremely annoying. Well, let's look at the positive side of that. When a uh, teenager becomes NI parent, and they're really, really responsible. It's because their trickster is able to get more SI self-discipline mastery, and they're a lot less impulsive. They're committed to writing everything down all the time. In fact, I have a uh, Michael Hyatt Full Focus Planner right here, and this is a memory tool given to me by an NI parent who has developed their trickster function. It's funny that they, they started developing their trickster function and having some self-discipline because I railed on them so hard about never writing anything down and always being forgetful. And he told me, later that that piece of advice that I gave him completely changed his entire professional career because now he just assumes, he just makes the assumption that I have to write everything down 100% of the time. And he uses this full focus planner as a, um, as a, as a, as a thing 
uh, to explain exactly how and why uh, he would need to do that and the process that follows. But bottom line is he doesn't re- he doesn't forget anything anymore because he has a self-discipline and he always has his planner on him to always write everything down at all times because he never knows what the outcome is necessarily going to be later, which is important because guess what? ENJs are both outcome-focused with their NI parent. They're both outcome-focused. And being able to have, to guarantee a good outcome for themselves later, because they realize that their impulsivity of NI teenager with their SI trickster was literally causing them to you know, miss out on opportunities later or uh, they would have bad outcomes later. So in order to prevent those bad outcomes, they would dial back the impulsivity and go out of their way to make sure that at least they have, that they're remembering everything, that they're doing it right the first time. Because impulsivity is an example of not doing it right the first time. And my father, who is an ENJ, constantly is railing on me all the time, especially when I was a little kid, do it right the first time, do it right the first time, do it right the first time, over and over and over and over and over, which is definitely something an NP needs to learn. But it's mostly he's learning it. He had to learn that. And my dad already had that learned by the time I was a child. And when he was explaining it to me, maybe he learned it the year before he, for the first time he said it to me, I don't know. But it was a huge, important uh, axiom that he himself followed. And that's as a result of the battleground of responsibility for these two functions. Okay. So those are some negative and positive examples of the battleground of responsibility. Let's move on to the battleground of innocence, right? So in the battleground of innocence, uh, you have the child versus the critic, and it's because the critic is trying to relive the wonder years, uh, relive childhood, basically, and live vicariously through the child, etc. And that's that's basically where the battleground of innocence comes from. And, you know, the critic function, it's very senile. It's an elderly person. Instead of being like that awesome grandparents they're just that old crotchety uh, grandparent that's cranky and doesn't really care about anyone or anything and just looks down on the child and the child's youth while simultaneously wishing to be as youthful as the child etc so and that's the uh, that's the direction that they're going you know in terms of the battleground of innocence well from an introverted sensing child standpoint this this could be a problem because uh, the um, the introvert intuition uh, critic well it's very unwise it's very senile and to the point where it's very arrogant to a point uh, and it's like I I want to be a little kid too I really want to be a little kid too so it wants to be a little kid again and relive its youth through the introverted sensing child so the introverted sensing child ends up getting pressured into having bad habits by the introvert intuition critic because introvert intuition critic comes off as someone who's weak-willed, focusing on, um, you know, this leads them to having addiction, what I call dopamine addiction, right? And this is where you have INPs constantly dealing with drugs and alcohol, video games, anything that they can get their hands on with dopamine because dopamine reminds the NI uh, senile elder critic of what it's like to be young again. So it becomes addicted to that and it's really taking advantage of the inner child uh, of all these bad habits within the INP's mind constantly, all the time, because it wants to relive that youth again that the inner child has. And then it ends up saddling up the inner child because of all these bad decisions that it's making. It's making these bad decisions, which ends up causing negative consequences and messes 
uh, for the SI child to have to clean up afterwards. And then the SI child becomes insanely overburdened, overburdened with addiction, basically. And that's what the battleground of innocence in a negative light is for introverted sensing. It is literally a battleground of addiction or a battleground of idolatry, having idols and serving idols. Idols like World of Warcraft, idols like alcohol, idols like whiskey, idols like uh, crack or cocaine, etc. I knew an INTP who had a $1,000 a week cocaine habit. That was just insanity, but that's what he did. And uh, yeah, he was a businessman and it's like, hey, you know, as long as I'm good in business, it doesn't matter what else I do in my private time, right? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I keep telling yourself, etc. I haven't heard from him since, but uh, rumor has it his life looked, really took a turn for the worst, etc. But this is like the level of traps that INPs can find themselves in because they're, they're trying to take as much as they can out of their youth and experience as much as they can while they're still a kid. And it ends up, they end up taking these really bad childlike habits into their adulthood. So it's basically, they're, they're binging. They're, they're essentially binging uh, consistently because they don't have, they, and it's like, why would I want to stop binging? I can binge and I can keep binging and I can keep going and I'll binge Netflix and I'll binge this and I'll binge that and binge, binge, binge. Why would I want to stop? Why would I want to stop? And it's not like I'm hurting anyone, says the NI critic. Why would I want to stop? So like, or they say, what am I supposed to do in that thing? And it's, it's just excuse after excuse after excuse. Yeah, they're being innocent about it, but it's still not good. So, and it's because the critic function entirely lacks wisdom. The critic function is essentially a fool and being foolish and causing the child to be foolish with it, basically. And the child is ending up following the critic's lead, the foolish critic's lead. And when the child needs to be learning from the wisdom of the critic instead and let the critic lead in terms of wisdom and so that the child doesn't, is not protected with bad habits. Here's a really, really good example from my life. I had to train my grandparents to stop giving my children candy all the time. The candy was making them sick. It was making them fat and unhealthy. This is an example, okay? Stop giving the children candy. And that's what NI critic does to SI child. It's giving them candy and it's annoying. They need to stop doing it, okay? So an example of it going in the right direction is where the NI critic actually helps the inner child uh, develop healthy habits. Because the NI critic is like, oh, well, it's actually wise for me to want this. It's wise for me to consider this option. It's wise for me to take care of myself. It's wise for me to measure my food. It's wise for me to go to the gym. It's wise for me to lose body fat. It's wise uh, to go to bed at a certain time. It's wise for me to not play World of Warcraft because I know I'm going to be sucked in. And because of that additional wisdom, it empowers the inner child of the INP to have... Um, self-respect to have self-discipline so that the source of the uh or that the self-discipline of the inner child of si child ends up being reinforced by the ni critic because the ni critic's like okay yeah nice little child you can go play world of warcraft but like that's a dumb idea like why would i, I don't want to do that you don't see me doing that so why do you want to do that and what this does is it allows the NI critic to help teach the si child to have positive and healthy habits and have habitual habits over time, because introverted sensing is all about habits, right? So that's that's the battleground of innocence for introverted sensing. Let's look at the battleground of innocence for uh, introverted intuition. 
anti-child, however, it's taking way too many risks. Risks, 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 and risks without any awareness of the consequences whatsoever. And uh, no regrets, YOLO, they're literally the YOLO, uh, YOLOist person. They're completely okay with, hey, I'm gonna facilitate cheating. You're gonna cheat on your wife uh, with, with me, basically, or you're gonna cheat on your girlfriend with me, etc. Oh, you wanna cheat on her? Yeah, I'm here for you, and I child, because I'm down for whatever. I just wanna see what will happen, etc. right? And, and I child, um, ends up just being, you know, having a really bad case of the gimmies in terms of like what it wants to do all the time and puts its desires over everybody else to the point where it's creating negative consequences for everybody else. And it doesn't even know the negative consequences it's creating for other people. As that NI child's like, ooh, I want to do drugs. I want to do heroin right now, even though they don't even realize that their heroin habits of or of the or choices of the day is going to screw over their unborn children 10 years from now. And they're not even aware of that consequence. And yet they're saying, well, I'm not hurting anyone else. Yeah, you may not be hurting anyone else immediately right now with those immediate reactions that you're aware of, SE parent, but your NI child is creating a really bad future for yourself and others down the road, and you're not even aware of that. And yes, I could still judge you as a bad or irresponsible person as a result of that because my NI child, my choice all the time. I'm down forever. I could take any risk. The thing is, is that while NI child can pretty much get out of anything and that's why they allow themselves to take such risks it's nice that they can get out of the minefield but they end up dragging other people into the minefield with them and putting those other people at risk this include this is especially with stds you know like any any ni child person that i ever decide to have sex with i force them to get checked with stds every single time because i know that statistically ni child out of all of the types has it is most likely to have the most STDs as well as STD uh, exposure than any of the other 16 types. Anti child gets around. Now, most people would argue that you should probably test the ESTP or the INFJ the most. And I would kind of disagree with that because um, uh, it's not that, I do maintain that ESTPs and INFJs have a larger volume of partners uh, than an ISTP or an ISFP. However, they have, but they're more likely to have higher quality partners, which ends up having lower risk to sexually transmitted diseases. Whereas NI child uh, is, is taking on too much risk. So while they may have less volume of partners, they have higher risk partners. And because that higher risk, it only takes one. You know what I'm saying? So this is why they end up having more, uh, more risk of having STDs. And that's why anytime I'm uh, going to have uh, a sexual relationship with an NI child, I make them get tested for that reason. Because they just, they just kind of go for it. And their SI critic is like, hey, let's just have whatever experience we want. I want to experience youth again. You know, so... Anything goes, and, and that SI critic has this anything goes behavior with the uh, NI child, and it's just and they're constantly getting into trouble with one another, and it's and it's horrible. So, what's the positive side? Well, SI uh, SI critic wakes up one day and it's like, okay, well maybe I shouldn't be this uh, this bad anymore. Maybe I should actually like show some responsibility here. Maybe I should show some wisdom and actually be wise and have some self discipline. And it's like. Hmm, yeah, maybe I don't want to have sex with that person. Maybe I don't want to get another STD. Maybe I shouldn't do that. 
and it literally what it comes down to is the NI child person, the ISTP or the ISFP has finally developed the habit to think twice. That's all it is. That is all SI critic is. Getting them to at least question what they want, question their own decisions, question their choices, and actually think before they act, right? That is the positive example of the battleground of innocence for introvert intuition child versus SI critic. So on to battleground of inhibition for the inferior functions, okay? Inferior uh, versus the nemesis, right? So introverted sensing, uh, inferior, really afraid of the experience it's getting, very afraid of change. This is me. I do it all the time. I'm always afraid of change. I'm um, always afraid of putting myself in unsafe situations. I'm also, because of that, I end up sheltering myself. Introverted sensing, inferior, uh, shelters itself. And it's because I'm worried of putting myself in dangerous situations with introvert intuition nemesis. So that worry of my own future, worry about being in a dangerous situation, I end up choosing with my introverted sensing inferior to not even put myself in that situation whatsoever so that I there's no way that I could have that possible outcome. And it's a form of fear and a risk aversion on my own part, but the difference is, is that it, it gets it, there's, it, it gets even more unhealthy habits from there. Uh, it can lead to me saying being afraid of saying no, or the biggest one, introverted sensing is not uh, introverted sensing inferior is not really able to enforce its own boundaries. People end up taking advantage of me and ENFPs, for example, ENTPs, ENT, uh, EN, ENPs really struggle with rejecting people, especially when they should, and that's what their SE demon is trying to teach them how to reject people uh, properly. Uh, and SE demons like hating reality and telling you that everyone is crap and evil people when in reality it's saying, hey, maybe you should just like reject that person, et cetera. That's the angelic form of it. But uh, SI inferior, it can also be super overly obligated very easily and become loyal to the wrong people and loyal to the abusers, right? And it's because introverted sensing uh, inferior has its own form of normalcy bias where the abuse is normal and it stays with what is known, which is abuse, right? And this is, this is like where you get into the argument about necessary evil, because necessary evil or the argument about, you know, deal with the devil that's known versus the devil that is not known, essentially, that ends up becoming an argument for that normalcy bias that's similar to uh, the parent functions, but within the inferior function itself. It also leads to an entitled a very entitled point of view as well, because SI inferiors walk around negatively believing, believing that uh, because they put in a lot of effort, they're owed something for that effort, even though that effort may not have actually produced a good outcome to begin with. They're just owed that effort, right? And it's really, it's really sad uh, and just kind of pathetic if you think about it. But it's because the SI inferiors constantly sheltering themselves, sheltering themselves from risk, sheltering themselves from anything that they don't want to have a good experience, sheltering themselves from pain, sheltering themselves from any kind of suffering, which ultimately leads them to being weak because they're so worried about not having a good future. And because they worry that they don't have a good future, they end up over sheltering themselves, which makes them weak, which means they're not going to have a good future. So it literally is the battleground of inhibition for introverted sensing. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
So if I am sheltering myself and surrounding myself with comfort and creature comforts constantly, then that's going to make me weak, which is going to cause me to have a bad future later because I'm not weak enough, I'm not strong enough to deal with the challenges later. That's introverted sensing inferior. It's a huge problem. Shouldn't do that, right? So, so based on that, we got you, you just you can't live your life that way. And this is why I started taking martial arts classes recently. This is why Railgun and I go rowing often. I'm constantly trying to do new skills. I'm trying to put myself at risk. I realize, you know, from a positive standpoint with my own introverted intuition nemesis, yeah, I'm worried about my own future, but if I don't force myself to have a bad immediate future now, then so I can gain the strength and make myself uncomfortable now, so I can gain the strength to deal with larger hardships later, then I'm going to have a worse future. I'm gonna have a worse life, right? That's an, that's an example of the positive use of an introverted intuition nemesis. It exists basically to be like, yeah, you're gonna have a bad future, but it's not like you shouldn't have a life of avoidance. Introverted sensing inferior within this cognitive reflection in a negative light is a life of avoidance. Whereas, um, whereas the, the you know the opposite avoidance is what the life uh, it should be. Um, uh, let's see, uh, what is the uh, antonym to? Let, let's do. Let's go to my favorite dinosaur, which is uh, thesaurus.com. Uh, never not uh, do that. And uh, let's look up avoidance, right? And then let's look at the uh, antonym, um, which for some reason I don't know why. Uh, this is not even there, but but regardless, like we end up circumventing things. We dodge. We're very good at dodging. This is one of the reasons why ENPs are amazing scouts because we just are so well at hiding ourselves because we're effectively circumventing or dodging any possible danger. Whereas the positive, the positive uh, form of this cognitive reflection is when you literally can become one with danger, basically. You're not avoiding danger, you're becoming one with danger and accepting danger and using danger and being danger itself, right? This is like Darkwing Duck style, let's get dangerous. You know what I'm saying? That is uh, That effectively ends up becoming what uh, introverted sensing inferior should be in a healthy, positive cognitive reflection. And that's when the inferior is shifting over to a more uh, royalty or more uh, mature standpoint. So if you see SI inferior being immature, it's because they're constantly trying to avoid uh, danger, whereas a healthier one is one that is willing to get into a dangerous situation or they're, they become, they're willing to become one with danger, right? I was in a very dangerous situation recently. I've been taking a lot of martial arts. I know how to deescalate situations in some cases. I had an IS, a raging ISTP run out of his house in front of me, accused me of taking photos of his home, even though I was actually on my selfie can uh, lecturing uh, in one of my uh, demon mastery lectures recently. And he accused me of taking photos or filming his home. I wasn't, and uh, he tried to steal my phone out of my hands, and it was just this big altercation or whatever. But uh, I use the psychology plus what I learned in the martial arts for de-escalation de and a fight never actually took place. And I was cool as a cat. In that situation, if I just decided to avoid and completely take off running, his effie and fury would automatically judge me guilty and he'd probably run me down. And uh, 
I, I bet I probably could have won in a fight with him. Uh, but the problem is, is that I'd rather not have a fight and have to deal with police officers after the fact, you know, because I know that he's got any trickster. He's not aware of the consequences of his actions. And I know that he's going to take it too far, especially with his SE rage. And he's just automatically going to assume that I'm guilty because I took off running. By choosing to not avoid him in that situation and actually become one with the danger, I was able to let the danger pass through me. And again, this is a Bruce Lee-ism. Uh, I highly recommend you read uh, The Warrior Within by John Little, which talks about Bruce Lee's philosophy of being like water and letting danger or anger or any of these things pass through you. You become one with it for a second. And yes, that can hurt, but it's passed through you. It's passed. It's over. You don't have to worry about it anymore. So that's an example of a healthier a battleground of innocence when it comes to introverted sensing inferior. And I inferior, so this is like my wife, however, they have this thing where it's like, okay, you know, I get really nostalgic. I'm really worried about not having good experiences again. So um, she ends up either taking way too many risks or deciding to not take any choices anyway so that she can revel in the same experience over and over and over again because she doesn't want to branch out. And she's kind of shifting back and forth between both of those things. Like she likes watching this little uh, child's uh, television show that, that she used to watch when she was a little kid. And it's like, I mean, come on, it's like 20 years later. Can we, uh, can we like not watch that anymore? But she loves it and it helps her calm down uh, and because of the nostalgia, basically. But nostalgia, when, in terms of an ESTP, can cause them to take really bad risks or nostalgia, like depending if it's positive nostalgia or negative uh, nostalgia, nostalgia can also cause them to become absolutely stagnant and make zero decisions at all. Because from their point of view, if they make a decision, all the doors would close. But what they don't understand is that they're going to have more choices after the next door, but they don't see it that way. Their NI is not strong enough to see all the doors past the door that they're looking at right now in front of them. And that's really hard for them. So they end up being bogged down by that SI nemesis because they're worried that they're not going to have those good experiences again. So they try to absorb as much of that experience as they can from the old experiences before going on to seek some new ones because they're always afraid that the gravy train is going to stop. And this is what leads to ESTPs and ESFPs to do something that uh, uh, Robert Potts calls uh, progressive favoring. It's like, oh, you know, I know that... Uh, you know, the whole point for us being out today was to do this one thing, but I want to go to this store and this store and this store and this store while we're out here, while we still have this opportunity. So, and, but basically what the battleground of inhibition in terms of introvert intuition inferior needs to learn, they need to learn how to seize the day, but not seize the day at the last minute. Seizing the day at the last minute ends up causing a lot of negative consequences or potentially messes for other people to clean up. If the Introvert intuition inferior is able to take the risk right now and seize the day right now instead of seizing the day at the last minute and dragging their feet all the time because of their SI nemesis worry, they'll be a lot more successful in life. And this is an example of uh, a healthy ESTP. If an ESTP is bogged down with people like clots or something like that or uh, people that hold them back essentially, uh, or they're dragging their feet because they're either afraid or they're worried or they just don't know what the outcome is going to be, 
They need to seize the day. And if they are seizing the day, if they are willing to make the decision, even though they know that they're not guaranteed a specific outcome for whatever decision it is they make, that is a healthy ESTP. And that's how you know they are healthy. That is a reflection of health, right? And like I said, you know, the battlegrounds or cognitive reflections are not, um, they're not areas that people develop, but this is how you see what level of development a person is cognitively, right? So, you know, for an NI inferior, that NI inferior is getting closer to aspirational, it's getting closer to maturity if it's able to seize the day right now and take the risk right now and not drag their feet with taking the risk, not drag their feet going through the door. If they just go through the door and go for it, uh, they're a lot better, they're, they're more likely to have a better outcome. And even if they're not even going to get an outcome, but at least they tried because they have to recognize that you know, they are strong enough to unobligate themselves and gain their freedom back at any moment, basically. The problem is that they end up getting too worried and they end up dragging their feet. That hesitation, you know, like, have you ever heard this, the saying, fortune favors the bold? That is the healthy version of the battleground of inhibition for NI inferior. Fortune favors the bold. But if they're not bold because they're, and they hesitate, they're not going to have a good outcome. And that's an example of an unhealthy ESTP, basically, okay? So anyway, these are the four battlegrounds for these cognitive reflections uh, for the third reflection, uh, which is introverted sensing and introverted intuition. If you found this lecture useful, helpful, and educational enlightening, please leave a comment below. Otherwise, right now is the Q&A time uh, for the sake of uh, this lecture. So let's see. It looks like we got some questions already. Um, Aaron Mann says, uh, to get over NI Nemesis, you have to forget the future and stay in uh, the moment uh, and do your stuff you need to grow, right? Yes, it's about having healthy habits. It's about uh, allowing yourself to put yourself in dangerous situations or allow yourself to suffer, basically, so that uh, you will be strong enough to handle what challenges are ahead. It's like picking your battles. Uh, so pick the battles that are closer to you instead of the battles later, because if you wait too long, then you're not going to be strong enough to handle them, basically. Um, so uh, he also says, like, imagine that you could die any moment and that death is a gift so nothing can scare you off or matters anymore. Yes, that's definitely uh, an approach for sure. Did I miss the NI hero and SI demon? Uh, I believe uh, you did. I talked about binging, uh, etc., and that was earlier. That was in the Battleground of Titans right at the beginning, yes, I mean. Uh, so I think you probably missed that piece. All right, cool. Uh, anyone else have any questions? We got about 12. All right, we had 16 uh, people in here and some people left at the end. But yes, um, do we have uh, 12 people there? Oh, we need to remove that CSJ symbol. Let's see, we'll, we'll get that. Uh, we need to remove that from the live stream moving forward because uh, that is not appropriate. So we'll get that handled. All right, well, it looks like there are no other questions uh, coming in. So folks, with that being said, thank you for watching uh, Season 18, Episode 16 for Cognitive Mechanics, the third Cognitive Reflection. We'll be back next month uh, for Episode 17, uh, which will be the fourth Cognitive Reflection. So with all that being said, folks, uh, thanks for watching, and I'll see you guys next time.